Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. We thank you for joining us today as this Thanksgiving weekend gets going. We're taping this on a Wednesday, and like everyone else, I think hopefully around the country, we'll be taking the next two days off away from the uh, the office. But we wanted to give you this podcast. We're going to talk about the NL Central today, a little bit about the Arizona Fall League, as we give you a couple of days to kind of marinate over this. Maybe you know, listen to this while you're recovering from Turkey or if you're crazy enough to go out on Black Friday, something I don't think, I know I'm not doing, I don't know about you, Ben, but this is J.J. Cooper and Ben Battler going to talk to you for the next 20 to 30 minutes and delve a little bit into the NL Central. I did the uh, the Reds top 10, Ben, you did the Astros top 10, but we're going to talk about all the teams really kind of throughout the division and I'll kind of just get us going. So NL Central top 10s, who do you like the best? You know, looking at, at the top tens, there really isn't one that jumps out at you in the NL Central as one organization. Okay, this this organization is clearly head and shoulders above, right. you know, the rest of the, the teams in this division. That's I think you can say that about every farm system in the minor right. leagues. We were just talking about this before we were on the air, is that I don't think there's a clear-cut, dominant, number one farm system in baseball right now. And you can make the argument for a lot of different teams out there. You know, just looking at the NL Central right now, uh, I think I'd probably go with either the Reds or the Cubs. Uh, you know, the, the Cubs have, uh, you know, Starlin Castro got a lot of attention this year in the Florida State League. People were expecting him probably to start a, a level lower. Maybe even two levels yeah, lower. Yeah, maybe even two levels lower. And then he really came on this year, and, you know, the, the power isn't there right now, but, you know, there's some projection there. He's six foot one. He's got a nice swing. He's got, he's got bat speed. Uh, you know, he should be able to hit 10, 15 home runs down the line, possibly. Uh, but, you know, he really stood out in, in the Arizona Fall League as well. Uh, Brett Jackson really made a strong impact in his debut. Uh, and the guy I, I like in that system, too, is, is actually down at, at number five, uh, Jay Jackson. Now he's a, an intriguing guy. A real power arm with the ability to spin a couple of really nice breaking balls. Uh, you know, a, a heck of a ninth-round pick for the Cubs there. Uh, and, and then the Reds. You know, they don't jump out to me as a, a dominating system, but uh, you know I, I, I believe in guys like Yonder Alonso and, and Todd Frazier at the top of that system. Uh, they have some interesting guys. I guess if I had to pick one, I'd probably go with the Cubs. But uh, so I would say they were the most interesting for me. But what about you, JJ? I, I kind of I like the Cubs. If you said I think the Cubs have the chance to maybe have, for looking back five years from now, they've got probably the most upside in there. And I say that because Josh Bitter's at three. Well. Vitters could end up being a, a real impact bat, although there are some you know, concerns, especially he, he did not have a, as good a second half of the season as you'd like to see. I really like, if he can stay healthy, Chris Carpenter at number eight in that system. I mean, he's another guy. You talked about Jackson. Jackson's a very intriguing mm-hmm. arm. Carpenter's another arm that, if he can stay healthy, and that's a big caveat with him, but if he's healthy, that, that's you know, a, a guy with some, some plus stuff. I, I like the Reds as far as the Reds to me is the system in the you know in the central that if you said has the has the highest floor. There's so many guys in that top ten who are guys who are not far away from the big leagues. Todd Frazier, Yonder Alonso, Chris Heisey, Travis Wood, Matt Maloney, Zach Kozar are all guys who've had success in some form at double A and above. So you're talking about a lot of guys who could help out pretty soon. At the same time, you're also talking about a number of those guys don't have ceilings as, you know, you know, not they can't be, but they're unlikely to be all-stars. 
Matt Maloney is a number four, number five starter. Travis Wood probably is a number four, number five starter. Those kind of guys aren't, you know, the guys who really make it, you know, make a huge difference on a team as far as, hey, you know, the Reds made their first playoff appearance, you know, in 15 years or whatever. Those aren't the guys who are going to generally do that. But I do think, though, that there's, it's hard to see that system really, you know, the guys in that top ten really failing. Yonder Alonso is going to hit in the big leagues. I'm feel pretty confident. I think you do too. We both got to see him a good bit, you know, in double A and talking to scouts. I mean, there's very few scouts I talked to this year who didn't say, look at his swing and say, yeah, that guy's a professional hitter. That guy, you know, they all feel like he's going to hit. That being said, I don't think there's a whole lot of potential all-stars in that system, maybe compared to some other system may have a little more upside. The one other I'd probably throw in there is the pirate system has at the top end, at least, has probably the number one guy, I think we probably both agree on this, the number one guy in of the Central, the Pedro Alvarez, their number one prospect, has the potential to be the best of all these guys that were, you know, that we were ranking when we were doing the Central. The thing about it is, though, is after that, it does, again, drop off to more kind of solid guys, but very few impact guys probably later on in that system. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, if you're going to take one guy in the in the NL Central, uh, as your top prospect, I mean, I think you can make a case for Starlin Castro. You can make a case for Alcides Escobar uh, because he is going to hit. He probably is going to hit as, as much as any shortstop in, uh, or not not as much, I should say. Uh, he could be a league average yeah. uh, shortstop hitter and uh, for, <laughs> for shortstop and then play gold glove defense right now. I mean, the people were... You know, blown away this year by Elvis Andrews, who, who had never seen him before. I mean, there's that's, no reason to think that Escobar won't be at least as good as Andrews next year. He's better. I think he's better yeah. right now defensively uh, than Andrews. I mean, I know he's a, a little bit older than Andrews, but he's not old by any right. means. And I think he's already a, a plus plus defensive shortstop right now. Uh, there, there's there was no surprise that they were able to uh, or that they are bringing in Escobar right now to replace Hardy. And I like still like JJ Hardy. But no, if you're, if is you've got him outstanding defensively, and you can also pay him three hundred and fifty thousand dollars this year. It's a it's a slam dunk, right? Which is about three hundred thousand more than they uh, gave him as a, as a <laughs> yeah. signing bonus. So, but you know, getting back to what you were saying about the pirate system, it's you, you know you're right. It's Pedro Alvarez is is an outstanding prospect. I mean, he's not without his flaws. He's going to have to stay on top of his conditioning and and make sure his defense uh, stays up to par. I, I think he can stay at third base for. You know, a little while, as long as he's with the Pirates, at least over the next uh, few years. You know, a few years down the line. You know, who knows? Uh, you know, where his his body's going right. to be. It could get you, you could get worse. Third. It could get it could get better. Right. If you look at what Josh Bell did this year. Uh, you know, with going over from the Dodgers to the Orioles, he's a guy who's really improved his conditioning and gone from a guy who's all right. Here's this big guy. We're probably going to have to move to a corner outfield position compared to where he is now. All right, this guy's a pretty solid third baseman. Well, especially the thing about that is, is if you are the Pirates, if you move him off a third, if you move him to first, you're pretty much guaranteeing that his body's going to go that way. I mean, very few guys get moved to a position with less defensive responsibility and don't bulk mm-hmm. up. I mean, if you look at what Jim Tomei looks like, you know, now compared to what Jim Tomei looked like when he came up, it's an entirely different body. If you keep him at third in the short term, there always is that possibility. You know, especially guys want to succeed. You've got a better chance that he's going to stay a little slimmer, probably, if you keep him over that third for a little while. Mm-hmm. At least as I see it. Yeah, and you look at the rest of the system. I mean, to- uh, Jose Tabata at number two. You know, he he's an interesting guy, having some success in, in AAA, but but he's more he's, of a solid guy again than 
it's probably then a guy you say is going to make a real big big league impact. Yeah, is he going to have enough power to? to he, I don't think he's going to play center field. I mean, he he has more speed than you would think just looking at his body. His body doesn't short, look like it. Yeah, you no know, squatty kind of guy, but he actually runs a little bit better than you might think just from looking at him. But uh, you know, the the body certainly doesn't project well for his speed uh, going forward. He might be a below average runner in the future. As it is now, he probably doesn't have the kind of speed you want in center field. It really doesn't have the kind of power or the loft in his swing, the ability to, to backspin a ball that you want out of a corner outfielder. So, you know, is that the kind of player you, you know, you really want? You know, he, he has some upside, but uh, it's just kind of a it's, a, it's not really a, an elite prospect to have at number two. The, the guy I like to, uh, might start to get a little bit more attention next year, I think, is, is Chase Darno. Right. Kind of a solid all-around guy. He's not going to blow you away with anything, uh, you know, plus-plus power or, or a cannon arm, but he really works the count well. He knows how to get on base. He's got a pretty solid swing, uh, and his hands work really well for him. So, you know, I could see him being a, a pretty valuable uh, up-the-middle guy for the Pirates in the future as well. Now, we haven't talked yet about, I don't think either of us considered the Astros as having the, you know, in the discussion of the best system of these uh, NL Central teams. I will say, looking at it, though, I do think it's a better system than it was if you looked at, you know, the Astros list last year and a better system than if you look at the Astros list two years ago. It has gotten a little better. It just, I mean, that's partly because it had a long ways to go. Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't get much worse than the number 30, <laughs> uh, the farm system in baseball. But you look at their top three prospects, you know, Jason Castro, Giovanni Meyer, Jordan Lyles, uh, you know, doing up that list. I pretty much had them in every permutation you can have, one, two, three. Uh, those for each are three of those guys. very interesting guys. I think the three three guys who uh, should make the top 100 prospects list come, uh, you know, when, when we make that oh, list. Oh, I think so, yeah. I, I, especially we were talking about before we started, you know, the podcast. It's There's been so many guys who've gone up to the big league the last couple of years. When you you almost have to change your scale a little bit of what you think of as a top hundred guy, it's a little different right now because hmm. there aren't as many slam dunk guys in the minors as there were, say, you know, when we were doing this list two years ago. Yeah, and I think uh, you know Jason Castro has a pretty good chance to be a solid uh, big league catcher, and he's, he's pretty close to there right now. He's got a he lost about ten fifteen pounds over the course of the season. He's got to put some weight back on, but you know Giovanni Meyer. I never talked to anybody. Uh, who didn't like him? He got excellent reviews in the Appalachian League and and from scouts I know who, uh, who I talked to who saw him as an amateur player and, and really liked him. He's got a really good feel for the strike zone. Uh, really impressed people with his bat, uh, which which or so I should say surprised people with his bat because that was always kind of the question mark with him. But he's a true shortstop. He probably has more upside than Jason Castro. But he's so much further he's away. He's a lot from further it. away, and I'd like to see just something in you know there's. It's it's nice. I think you can glean a lot from a, seeing a guy, not necessarily just the numbers, but from what he does and, and how he handles the wood bats against pro competition, even in the Appy League. But to see that over the full course, course of the right. full season, uh, in in a league like the South Atlantic League, it gives you a, a much better gauge of of that. The, the best way I can put it is is uh, is that to me it's. Guys, especially, you know, when you get down to those really lower levels, or, you know, like when I'm ranking the Jorben Rodriguez in the red system, this year he finally had a chance to do something. I mean, he played against guys much older than him in, the, in you know, when he was playing Billings in the Pioneer League. But guys at those lower levels, they haven't really had a chance to fail yet. And I don't mean that as in, like, they're going to fall on their face, but what I mean is is that it does seem like the higher you go up, 
the easier it is to spot the weaknesses in a player. You know, even for scouts, because they get exposed so much more than when you see it. You know, when you see a guy, when a guy's been playing high school ball, you know, and a scout watches him there, you know, you can project and you see weaknesses and all, but it's so much easier when a guy's succeeding at, you know, in the Appy League for people to see what his strengths are, especially because you're, there's so much projection involved than it is, you know, when you're talking about a guy who's in double-A, like a Castro, yeah, you're going to see more weaknesses there. You're going to see more of the things he has to work on in subways because, you know, well, he's not going to reach – his ceiling has already been lowered a little bit than a guy, you know, is in, in rookie ball. But it also, yeah, he's much more likely. You know, you've also – because everything's a little bit more firm there, you can make a little bit better assessment of, of his likelihood of reaching that. Absolutely. And, and then Jordan Lyles, too, is another guy who I think has uh... – uh, some upside as well, but the thing with the Astro system is that after number three, uh, you know, number four is a guy who's probably just a middle reliever uh, at best in the big leagues, and normally you wouldn't see a guy like Sammy Gervasio or, or Cha Jen Lo at four and five in the system, but uh, for me, those guys are, are pretty certain to be major league players. Uh, after but, that, I'm really not certain how many of these guys are uh, going to be re- Big league players, or at least you know guys like Tommy Manziel and Chris Johnson, they're going to play in the big leagues. Whether they are really anything more than you know replacement level type guys, Triple right. A uh, players at best, kind of remains to be seen. And you know I have my doubts about that. But you know after after those top three and a couple of relievers, who I'm pretty sure are going to play in, and Gervasio obviously uh, has played in the big leagues. You know how much major league talent they have after that is uh, you know it's it's certainly a question mark at this point. And the other team that we haven't covered yet is that the Cardinals have a, a, a really an elite talent at number one. Although again, I talk about a guy who really, you know, we haven't seen all his warts yet because Shelby Miller is is basically, you know, had two outings, you know, two pro outings, and we're and we're, we're going to see a lot more of him going forward. But uh, an elite talent, one of the best arms in the you know in last year's draft. After that, though. You know, and they, we knew this because they traded away a lot of guys during the during the season. But it jumps out. I, I know when I was typing these guys in to put them in for the uh, for the web, typing in those birth dates, and it's like, wow, there's a lot of 25, 26, 27 year old guys in this top 10, which mm-hmm. is not normally a uh, a good sign for your for the, the the quality of the system. Yeah, I think they certainly tra- obviously trading away Brett Wallace uh, was. You know, he would have been, I imagine, number one in that that system had they not traded him away. But yeah, you know, you'll get guys from number two to uh, to basically number seven, maybe even number nine. You know, if you just kind of rolled the dice and put them in any order you want, almost just because I, I don't think there's too much difference in the value uh, of a lot of these guys because you know there, there's really no elite prospect. I mean, you know, I, I like Miller to an extent. You know, I, I'd also like him a little bit more once I. Right, right. If if Brett Wallace was number one, I think we'd all be saying, "Hey, that's a you know that's a good solid number one to your system because he's a professional hitter. We've we know he's going to hit. You know, now there's some questions about his defense and all, but but the guy can hit. Mm -hmm. Shelby Miller as a number one, yeah, he he's kind of that guy you really want more as like a number in a good system, maybe more like a number three, number four coming out because you say, okay, elite level talent, but he's also at the very start of his career, and we don't, you know, he's a long ways away from, from seeing him in the big leagues. Oh, yeah, I mean, we've seen plenty of, of first-round picks go from, you know, hard-throwing high school first-rounders to 
uh, you know, in the next year, where'd that velocity go? Right. right. It's just that's what happens when you you have you don't see a guy pitching every, every fifth five, day yeah. for over the course of four or five months, seeing how he holds up. Uh, so it, you know, a lot of differences can, uh, or a lot of changes in our evaluations can can come over the course of that time. You know, just comparing it to the the Astros system, uh, I might even take all three Astros guys in Castro, Meyer, and Lyles. Uh, over Miller, and if not o- all of them over Miller, I'd certainly take them all over, uh, you know, Jaime, Jaime Garcia. Garcia yeah, I think there's no doubt two. about that. I don't think there's any. And like, to to give an example of that, like, okay, you could do that same thing if you said, okay, you know, the Cubs system. Well, you're. I don't think there's any real doubt that you're going to take Starlin Castro over, you know, over number, you know, especially over number two over Jaime Garcia. And again, I think you can probably get down to Jay Jackson and say Jay Jackson, Jaime Garcia. I want to have Jay Jackson. I think you could even say the yeah. I think you could even say Jay Jackson versus uh, Shelby Miller and, and make the case for uh, Jay Jackson being as, as solid as he was uh, up through Double A this year. And although um, I think you could at least have a debate on that sure, one because sure. Miller, what you're yeah, what you're betting on if you know if you're the Cardinals, what you're hoping for there is is there is a a high flameout rate of those elite high school pitching prospects, first round picks. At the same time, though, if you can get your hands on a good one. It's one of those things that, you know, it. It's one of those. It's hard to find those guys beyond the first round. Also, at the same time, like that elite, that that plus plus fastball high school pitcher, who then you know who also can go out there. You know, the Josh Beckett. I mean, there are the success stories, which is why teams keep coming back mm-hmm. because you know you see and it's like wow, you know, man, we need one of those guys, and you can't find those guys. On trees. I mean, it's so I could see the debate there of hey, Jay Jackson a lot better, you know, a lot more track record. Stuff is is relatively comparable, but I could see also teams saying no, we'd, we'd rather have Shelby Miller. Mm-hmm. But um, well, moving on. Also, Ben just got back not long ago from the Arizona Fall League, which I think had a pretty fun trip. Did you not? Yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty great experience to get out there and you, know, you basically just wake up. And you go to the ballpark, you watch BP, try to talk to some of the, the managers and, uh, you know, schmooze a little bit with the players and try to, uh, you know, see how these guys are doing out there. Go to a game, watch the game, talk to some scouts out there. Uh, game, will, game started about 1230 in, in Arizona. Game will end, pretty much pack up, go to the next game, which will start at 630. Wall to wall baseball. BP, uh, you know, rinse, lather, repeat. It's so and 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 the, it's good in that there's there's so many prospects who are there. You know, normally I'll, I'll go to a game and uh, you know might see a couple of guys on, right, on each but team you can, who but, might be prospects. But you have innings come up where you have a pitcher on the mound facing three guys batting who you're like, well, there's not really anyone that who's that interesting in this inning. Mm-hmm. And uh, but then it's it's almost to the point where it's it's almost overwhelming because you know when you're just you know when scouts go into to scout a, a minor league game, usually, and in fact almost always, they're just focusing on, on one team. They're not trying to break right. down the pitcher and the hitter at the same right. time. Uh, that's just, it's difficult to do that and do it. To right, run. because really, I mean, if you're watching the hitters, you're watching the hitters even, you know, as the ball's leaving the hand. I mean, you want to, you're at least somewhat, because you're watching stance, you're watching, you know, how has he set his hands? All those things you can't do that and be watching. Okay, well, and hold it? the radar gun. Yeah. And, hold and the oh yeah, by the way, I'm going to go off to the side because I want to see the pitcher, you know, from a mm-hmm. side angle too. Yeah, there's just, 
He so only has two hands yeah. and two eyes. So you're kind of, you know, I'm running around a little bit behind the plate, trying to go off to the, you know, the third base or the first base side too a little bit during the game. But uh, it's almost overwhelming how many guys there are there just to to figure out who to bear down on uh, and, and who to focus on, you know, over the course of uh, the week that I was out there. But you know, obviously it was, it was great seeing a lot of these guys, and, and certainly there was some. Uh, you know, Hayward and, and Stanton were only there briefly. The sense I got was that, uh, you know, obviously Strasburg was the dominant guy in that league, but there wasn't one guy necessarily. You know, Posey was out there. He looked a little run down. Dominic Brown is out there. Dustin Ackley. Uh, you know, there's there's some concerns, uh, you know, about both of those guys and, and really everyone, obviously, in the league. But uh, there, there wasn't one guy who really stood out as just this flat-out dominant force, other, other than Strasburg, I suppose, uh, you know, in the, in the league this year. But and the thing that jumped out that seemed like from afar is is that it also is a league that like I know you're working on the uh, you know we do our top ten or top ten or top twenty I don't even know. And we're gonna do a top ten this year and then do a few extra categories of guys who were you know on the rise or maybe some guys who uh, who disappointed too. But it 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 seems like it would be a hard list to to kind of. Narrow that down because once you get past the strut, there's so many guys out there at some point. I mean, as you said, I mean, I know you've done about not that they're all going to make top ten, but the number of catchers who are out there in the fall league who at least are intriguing is it was pretty sick. It was like six, seven guys who you say, okay, that guy's you know, that guy has a chance. This guy has a chance. Yeah, I mean, every everyone who's going to make the top ten prospects list from the uh, the Arizona fall league is probably going to be a top. Uh, just thinking offhand, probably about a top 50 prospect in the that's in pretty, the game. So there are going to be guys who are top stout. 100 guys who aren't necessarily going to make the you know the AFL top 10 list, but are obviously. Oh, yeah. And if you said if you said hey I was going to do a top 40 from there, the number 40 guy would I would imagine still be a pretty intriguing guy. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. That's 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 a league unlike any other. Like the Rising Star game ended up being like I know the rosters didn't end up you know Strasburg was you know hurt those kind of things, but didn't pitch in it, but it really was. You looked at that and said, this is not that that far off the Futures game, especially because you take away some of the rules that are there for the Futures game. And man. You can argue that it's better than the Futures yeah. game because of some of the rules involved in terms of, you know, you can only have one guy or, or you have to have one guy from each team and not more than two guys. And, right. You know, then you have to pigeonhole certain international players. Right, it's like, well, we need, uh, you know, we we need an outfielder, an international outfielder. Well, okay, yeah, that means, you know, like with Giants we ran into, it's like the Giants had more guys that you wanted to have in that lineup than you could have in the Futures game. And then, but beyond that, it was something where, well, we need this guy, and unfortunately that means that we're going to lose this guy who really we want, you know. We can't, you can't get everyone that you wanted to see. I mean, that's, but, you know, looking at that Rising Stars roster, it's like, hey, this game is, especially now we've, we've talked around the office, now this, you know, with the sign deadline like it is at August fifteenth, where almost all of the big, you know, the big money college pitchers don't pitch in the their, you know, their initial, you know, regular seasons, it just means that the AFL is a first look at almost all of the good power arms that came out of that year's draft. It seems like. Yeah, I mean, there's really no top pitching prospects in that league, other than, I mean, Henry Mejia is there. He got hurt during the season. Maybe want to get him a little bit of extra work, but you know, other than Mejia, there really wasn't a, a, a top shelf pitching prospect out there aside from guys like Steven Strasburg, uh, Mike Leak, Mike Miner, Aaron Crow, Tanner Shepherds. These guys, all who these are, guys, all who, these high yeah. round picks from the draft this year, who just 
or like our basically, I mean, minor pitched a little bit this year, but in the yeah, almost all those guys though didn't have a regular season. Right. They they were either they were done with their indie season or they were done with their college season, and from that point on, they were off as far as competitive baseball at least until either you know a couple of starts right at the end of the season or the AFL was their first look and. And by the way, with that, you know, do a reminder, go to BaseballAmerica.com. If you go to the Prospects blog, blog slash Prospects, Ben had notes for for weeks, and he's still been writing notes, you know, even now the season's over. And then also on there, uh, we, we've pulled off, thanks to the pitch effects data, if you want to see how hard most everyone, I, unfortunately they didn't have pitch effects data for everyone, but most how hard most everyone threw at the uh, – in the Arizona Fall League, we have those as far as fastball, max, and average velocities also on the prospects block. Is there anyone on that list that, that jumps out to you? I mean, there was a couple. Uh, I mean, I saw him, I guess, but uh, there was a couple that, that kind of jumped out to me. But Well, Sergio Santos was the one that uh, that jumped out to me first because I would, I, you know, former longtime shortstop prospect who, you know, hey, they're trying to see if he can make it on the mound. And at least it's intriguing because – if you have an arm like that, then then that gives you I don't care what your rage is that gives you some hope because he jumped out as he was actually I think the uh, the second hardest thrower in the fall league just behind Strasburg which that's kind of crazy to he was yeah he his his max fastball he had he threw a 99 mile an hour fastball out there well if you can throw 99 I don't care what your delivery looks like and all you have something there to work with someone will always give you a chance right I mean his numbers this year were were just terrible <laughs> but. You know he does throw 99, and he's also learning how. I mean, he's quite clearly learning how to pitch. I mean, clearly, yeah. You know, I mean, compared to, I mean, Kenley Jansen by comparison, the oh, very polished for considering his. Yeah, I mean he he's got a long ways to go with his command, but it's better than you would think. You know, Jansen the the who just con- the Dodgers just converted him from catching to pitching just this summer. Kind of a some, some surprising polish for a guy. You know, he's still got to learn how to hold runners. You know he's got to refine some of his off-speed stuff, but you know he shows some some feel at least for uh, for the breaking ball. Uh, you know I think Jansen might be a little bit more polished of the two former. Uh, oh yeah, no, I think players. he's much more. And and he also you know he topped out at 97 out there, so that's nothing you know to sneeze at either. Obviously Strasburg, you know now pitch effects velocities are slightly different. I mean they're generally in the same range, but you know a slight difference than radar velocities. You're you're talking about you know, not not nothing significant enough where you'd say, you know, well, but you know that this is an entirely different thing we're talking about. Like if you talk about pitch effects has start speed, start velocity on a pitch, and also has it as it crosses the plate, which it's pretty amazing. Like the the difference is when it crosses the plate is that is an entirely different. If you're used to radar gun readings, seeing those in speeds isn't something that really mm-hmm. has any scale of reference for you. You know, like oh, that's an an 89 mile an hour fastball is that good? Yeah, that's really really good or whatever. But Strasburg 100.5 for his you know peak topping out there, which you know or 101 essentially if you want to say that's that's always something that anytime you see triple digits, I've mm-hmm. I've yet to see triple digits myself in an actual you know going to a ballpark you know minor league game and, and seeing it show up on a radar gun I was holding, but. Uh, I'm looking forward to that day. I think you have now. Have he you had not? a he had a 99 while I was out there. The only other guy I think I saw this year who hit 99 was uh, Jeremy Jeffress, but uh, you know he's not. He was obviously wasn't out in the fall. <laughs> no, he's not uh, in the fall league right now. Um, but uh, if you're saying guys that jumped out, uh, Mejia, you talked about Mejia a little bit for the Mets. You know, he sat 
at roughly, you know, at 94 out there. That jumped out to me. I knew he had a good arm. I knew, you know, doing the FSL list, you know, guys talked about him, you know, touching, you know, 95, 96, even a little bit of 97 maybe during the, you know, during the Florida State League. But but to sit there, I know this is shorter stints, but to sit there like that is pretty impressive. And Tanner Shepard's, I know there's been a lot of talk of, you know, oh, is his shoulder okay and all that. Well, I'll say this. If his shoulder's bothering him, which no one, you know, I'm not saying it is because that's been rumbling to you here. You know, Shepard's and, and his people have all said, no, you know, he's fine. When you throw a 96, when you're sitting at 90, you know, in short stints, sitting around 96 miles an hour, hard to believe the shoulder's bothering you. You know, I think that he's a guy who moves quickly on the basis of he's got, you know, just such electric stuff. And if you do have concerns about his shoulder, get, you know, while there are bullets in the arm, go, you know, go and let him use them. Yeah, I think the concern with him is that, you know, his command, you know, I saw him once pitch well, and the second time I saw him, his command... Uh, just, just not there. Really, just not there. Uh, you know, he has the the power arm, and he can get it up that high. You know, I see him more as a. I, I think I don't think he's going to be a starter. Well, I, I see him being. That's what I, part of what I'm talking about is use him as a. You know, I could see him being a power armor of the pen pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I'm just afraid. You know, he's the kind of guy who you want to push because the arm strength is there and the injury risk is very real. You know, I was talking to a guy who said, he, you know, he's he's got the arm strength, but he still has a bit of a hitch in the right. Back if that's the, the case, I'd rather see those. If I'm a team, I'd rather see those pitches being thrown at the big league level quickly rather than, you know, him being cut on as a you know double A guy who was being slowly worked in. Mm-hmm. But I also don't want to see those pitches, uh, you know, <laughs> going five feet off right. the plate too. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying now, but I'm right. saying yeah, move him, you know, with some with some rapidity. You know, don't mm-hmm. and don't. If you think he's going to be a power arm out of the pen, maybe that's the guy you move a little quicker to the pen because if they're if you have concerns. Um, anyone else that jumped out to you, like as far as you know, there's some uh, you know a guy who had a a lot of control problems while I was out there, Craig Kimbrell. Uh, you know, I saw him once. He struck out the first guy he faced, and then he basically walked the next four hitters and walked in a run. Uh, just have, and, and he's and he's shown of, that. I mean, yeah. that's not just fall league. He's had that concern. I know Cal mm-hmm. has had a question about him recently, where he said he doesn't need to have much more control because of him being a power arm out of the pen. I'm kind of more side with. Sounds like what you're saying. Yeah, that's true. But you also you can't be Mitch Williams either. You know, you can't be where you're you're always a danger of going. You know, you always have to have another guy up in the pen because. What was, you know, a guy on first with no outs all of a sudden becomes bases loaded, you know, by, in the blink of an eye. Which, yeah, and there's some concerns with his, his arm action, too, the, the way he brings his elbow above the shoulder line, and, uh, you know, that might always impede his command as well. So he does have a lot of arm strength, but, uh, you, you know, is, it, is he a guy you can count on? He has he has the, the fastball, and, and, you know, he flashes a, a good breaking ball, too, you know, to pitch in, in high leverage situations at the end of the game, but... You know, right now is control. It doesn't need to get a little bit better. It needs to get a, a lot, lot better, better for him. And that's what you're talking about. Control is a reliever. I mean, mm-hmm. and notice, you know, we use. You'll hear the words from us. You know, command, control. I know a lot of you know y'all listen to this know this already, but they are two distinct things. Um, and we're talking about Craig Kimbrell. We're not talking about command. You know, we're talking about control being that ability to throw strikes, just get the ball. You know, in areas. Whereas, you know, Craig Kimbrell probably almost is never going to have command 
where he actually throws to spots and can hit his spots. Dif- you know, the difference between control, throwing strikes, and command, which is you throw the strikes to where you want to throw them. You know, you're, you're hitting the mitt. You're not just hitting a general area of, okay, you know, I, I, can, I can not walk too many guys. Kimbrell's never going to have command, do you think? I, I, I'd be very surprised if, if he did. Uh, there's just a lot of, uh, you know, risk involved and uh, factors that, that might preclude him from uh, having, you know, the kind of control that, that makes you feel comfortable. In a did, uh, another guy that jumped out to me who had a pretty solid uh, fall league, kind of an intriguing guy, Donald Veal. Did you get any insight on him while you were out there? Rule 5 this year, obviously, with the Pirates, and spent the whole, you know, enough time up there that to kind of stick with them. But, you know, I know he was injured a little bit this year, but is he has he turned a little bit of a corner, do you think, or is it just limited outings he succeeded? You know, I didn't see him in the fall league. I think he was pitching on the same day or at the same time as, I think, maybe Mejia or right. uh, or somebody else that I that I wanted to make sure that I saw. But it sounds like they've uh, they've helped his uh, mechanics, and it seems like they're a lot smoother. Uh, just the sense was out there than it was before. Uh, it sounds like his curveball's a little sharper, and obviously he's throwing a little bit harder. Now, I remember seeing him at the end of the 2008 season. I think it was his last start of the season, and <coughs> excuse me, he probably had uh, of of anyone I've seen uh, or anyone I saw that year, and uh, with the exception of maybe one other guy this year, probably the worst control of any pitcher that I saw. I mean, he, he just didn't have any idea where the strike zone was. He was throwing about, you know, 89 to 90, and by the second or, or third inning, his pitch count was so high that his, his velocity was already dipping at that point. His curveball was kind of so, you know, you I was going to say, because he also didn't really have much of, I mean, that was always a problem, too, was his, his secondary stuff was, was so inconsistent that he often ended up being a one-pitch guy. Too. Yeah, and you, you could see the curveball, you know, had its, had its moments. You could see some of the depth there, but it, it wasn't very sharp. Uh, you know, so to to see him being able to throw, uh, can, even if he's just a reliever in the big leagues, to be able to see him uh, make these strides, and, and if it is true improvement, uh, that's certainly an encouraging sign to be able to get him basically off the off the scrap heap of the Rule Five draft. Right. I mean, to, to get a, if he can become a power lefty arm out of the pen, that's you know, if he can get where he can actually throw enough you know strikes to where you can just say. Hey, he's coming in the seventh, you know, to to blow smoke for you know a couple of batters. If you can get that out of the rule five, Pirates done a good job there, and that's one of the things that if you are a team that's rebuilding, that's one of the things you need to do. Roster spots for you are a little less, you know, a little less valuable in some ways than they are for uh, a team who's contending for a you know playoff spot. You can't waste your 25th spot on a guy like that. And you turn him into a, you know, a useful, productive reliever, all of a sudden the trading deadline, maybe not necessarily right, this year, year, but down the road, line, yeah. The but trading deadline comes, a team needs a left-handed reliever, all right, we'll send you, you know, X, Y, and Z prospects for this reliever, and, uh, you know, you can help build through trades as well. Right, and a that's... a guy who they had, basically, they basically decided to invest the, the $50,000 for the, the Rule 5 draft. Well, and that's the thing that, we, you know, when you talk to... It's funny, when you talk to scouting directors, it's kind of the same thing. The scouting directors, it's not... <coughs> excuse me. I think we're both battling a little something here. But it, the scouting directors, your job is to acquire talent. Whether you know your team promotes that guy and he becomes a big leaguer for you, or even if he doesn't become a big leaguer, but he has enough value that someone else trades, you know, gives you something for him, then you've done your job as a scouting director. Like, when you're talking about the Cardinals... It doesn't really matter, you know, if Jess Todd ends up being a Cardinal long term, but 
it matters that he has value where another team wants to acquire him, you know, is willing to use him as, you know, a trade a piece so you can get Matt Holiday. You know, Donald Veal, that's another way the Pirates can do this is, is that, yeah, they need to get, they need to have pieces, you know, right now they've seemed like they've done a really good job of getting pieces who may have some value. But the question is, is now is, is can you take that step forward? They've got a Pedro Alvarez, they've got an Andrew McCutcheon, but they have also a lot of guys who are, if not spare pieces, but you're not really sure, you know, okay, how's that guy fit with them? That's okay if they can end up turning those guys around. Like, I don't see how Gorkis Hernandez fits for them long-term when you have Andrew McCutcheon, a better version of Gorkis Hernandez, who's already in the big leagues. But if Gorkis Hernandez, if they can build his value up to where you can turn around and trade him for something they need, that'd be okay. But and the, Yeah, and then, and then on the other hand, occasionally some of those guys who are you know, mid-level, you know, uh, this guy... Jason no Bay was not, you know... With Jason Bay, Ben Zobris this year, the Astros traded away, uh, you know, him a, a couple of years ago. You know, obviously you don't expect Ben Zobris to be an AL MVP candidate uh, one day based on his minor league track right. record. But, you know, but, there were yeah. some things you, you had to like. He was a little bit older, but he had a pretty good idea of the strike zone, uh, you know, could get on base and strike out too much. You know, every now and then a guy like that can... You know, turn into an above-average big leaguer for you, even though you're not expecting, you know, this necessarily this one guy uh, to eventually become, uh, you know, an above-average big leaguer. But one of these, you know, five or six guys who are just kind of, you know, okay prospects out of those guys, maybe one of them will turn into something well, like that, and that's a lot of value. Well, that's the thing, like that, you know, the Pirates, I know, got, uh, you know, some heat when they were trading off guys this, you know, this year, selling guys off, you know, and. and really kind of throwing in the towel come the trade deadline. But if you're the Pirates, why not? You know, what is Jack Wilson? Even if you don't, you can't get an elite franchise player for Jack Wilson or Freddie Sanchez. That's okay. I'd still, if I'm the Pirates, I know you can get heat for, oh, look how low your payroll is now. But you're not going to lose many more games by getting rid of those guys than you are with, you know, you're you're going to win 80 with them. You yeah. know, you're lucky to win 80 with them. And I'm sure. I mean, we're, I'm sure we're preaching the choir to the the baseball America right. readers out here, but right. it's the truth. I mean, it's just it's something where, you know, it's like okay, I know you know there's a lot of teams like that's eh, frustrating. You know, we're not you know haven't won in forever. I you know as a fan, I'm much rather would you know yeah you know work for Baseball America. You know, Baseball America. You know, our podcast listeners. I'd much rather have a team that's being aggressive to try to fix things than is conservative to try to basically, hey, our goal is is to get us back up to 81 wins. Yeah, and you want to have a sustainable infrastructure of talent that's, you know, feeding your your major league team so that, you know, all right, we do have the money now because we're only paying our <laughs> Right. You know, I mean, we, that's we the key thing though. cost control talent and now we can, you know, plug in some holes here but, through free agency. And you hit on the key thing there, though, is, is that, which is, with these teams, yeah, your payroll may dip, but at the same time, rev- centralized revenues and all are big enough now that it's not the same excuse as it was 15, 20 years ago, where you say, well, we now, you know, we've got to sell them all off immediately because we can't afford it. Well, you had a payroll that was, you know, 40 mil for, you know, a couple of years there. There should be room to pay to keep at least a good number of those guys, you know, especially through arbitration and all. And we've seen some teams who say, oh, no, you know, I can't, we can't keep them through arbitration. That seems a little fishy sometimes. But, yeah, you, you, seeing a team's payroll dip is okay. They're going young to get better. But at the same time, you should see a little bit of a, a, an ability to keep some of those guys short-term at least 
after that. Well, I was, I'm just wondering if that uh, fishy comment was a, uh, a pun for the, yeah. Uh, the arbitration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's uh, you know it's it's a good point to. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, I mean it, it's you know it's it's what we deal with. You know, is we got a CBA coming up. I mean, I'm sure this will be something that'll be dealt with a lot as the owners and and union get together. But uh, I hate to wrap us up because this, this is interesting, but we don't want to take too much of uh, of y'all's Thanksgiving weekend uh, time. But we appreciate you coming out and uh, downloading the podcast. As always, head over to www.baseballamerica.com to uh, check out. We've got you know the entire NL Central top tens are up as you as you listen to this. We'll start rolling out the NL West uh, next week. I think the Giants on Monday will be our first one, and then we also will you know we'll have Ben's. Arizona Folly top ten prospects are not coming out too far away too. Mm-hmm. But so for Ben Badler, this is JJ Cooper. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and we'll look forward to having another podcast for y'all next week. Thanks.